American Craftsman Podcast is proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. The West was built by people with strength and great pride in their workmanship. It was a necessity that early settlers of Montana have a strong will, a resilient character, and great determination to tame the rugged landscape while adapting to its dramatic climate. That spirit, made in the USA pride and craftsmanship, is alive today, both in how Montana Brand Tools are manufactured and how they perform. Montana Brand Power Tool accessories are manufactured utilizing proprietary, state-of-the-art CNC machining equipment and the highest quality materials available. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist, located in Ronan, Montana. Montana Brand's heritage comes from a long line of innovative power tool accessories. Use coupon code American Craftsman for 10% off your order at MontanaBrandTools.com. Episode 39. It is episode 39. Got it right this week on the yeah. uh, on the page and last week. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. Can you believe it's a short week for us? I know. It's this is totally throwing me for a loop. Yeah, we don't really take off. No. Um but we took off for Memorial Day. Yep. And uh, if you guys don't know, we've we've mentioned it, but we record on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and Jeff will get everything uploaded Wednesday by Wednesday evening. Yeah, last week I just put it up on Tuesday because mm. I had it ready. Yeah. This way I feel like I can put it out early if I want, but if not, it'll just be Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, because we used to shoot on Wednesdays back right. in the shop. Yep. Now we're in this fancy studio mm-hmm. in your basement. <laughs> Illustrious. <laughs> well, I don't know about you. I could use the beer of the week right about yeah. now. Yeah, bring it on. Let me see you get the get the camera opened up. Shoot. Yeah, Jeff shooting B roll now. Yeah, I'm not gonna shoot it in 4K because I only um I only upload the 1080, so it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So. Well, here we go. Look at that. Ooh, bottles we got this week. This week. Soul. Cerveza. Desde, 1899. Original de Mexico. Right um, these are leftovers from yesterday. Went down to my buddies and... Uh, this is what I brought. We got to bring Keith's uh, bottle opener over here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So kind of just uh, your run-of-the-mill beer. Stepping uh, back into the box this week, I guess. <laughs> Let me this see if I can... a 12-ouncer. Yeah. See if I can get a video of... Pouring the beer. Got a nice golden color. Yeah. Yeah. Beer of the week. Get a nice view of the blanket over there. Even my wife wanted to know what was beer of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to show a little interest in what her husband does for a living. (laughs) At least for a hobby. Right. As long, as long as the check comes on Friday. Cheers. That's her, that's her main concern. It's 
Cold. Easy drinking. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. This uh it always reminds me of like a corona, but not as like bad. Not as pale. Yeah. All right. Well, woo, doggy. Tool of the week. What do you got? Ah, tool of the week. Uh I'll I'll start this with a question. Do you know what an eponym is? I should hold it well, this I way. I do now. For for those of you out there who don't know, an eponym is one of those. It's a fr- it's a word that means like when a a, a brand name becomes a generic name, like mm-hmm. Kleenex instead of uh, facial tissue, Band Aid instead of adhesive bandage. Mm-hmm. So um, I I knew there was a word for, it, but I had to look it up. I don't want to make it. Sound like I know everything. <laughs> That's a noble thing to do is to so, look it up. Sometimes my wife accuses me of that. She's got three mentions already. This yeah, is a Vix bit. Uh, and this one's from Montana. Mm-hmm. And Vix, V-I-X, is, uh, is the company's name, but it's a self-centering bit. And yeah, well, the company the, the that has taken over the name. Yeah. yeah. That's a Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did they invent it? Did the Vicks company invent it? We don't know that. Uh, but it's a self-centering bit from Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, theirs happens to be, you know, in the line where it's reversible. You know. And the cool thing is you can change out this head with the <laughs> Allen wrench that's right in the in the whole little kit. It's, so it's it's really this cool self-contained thing. Um, so these things are invaluable. Like if you're drilling hinges, especially mm-hmm. um, anything that that's like metal and it has that that countersink. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it centers the pilot hole right in the middle. It's a no-brainer. It's got a little spring action, so you press down, and it's really hard to see, but um, on camera. But this piece retracts and mm-hmm. the little bit comes out. And so it, it you could actually set the depth by changing on these the, where you kind of got the, the bit being grabbed by that screw. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it drills a perfect little centered countersink. Yeah, when you're uh, like putting in hinges and stuff, if you're using just a drill bit, you run the risk of putting the screw off center and then it wants to pull your hinge yep. in a weird direction. Yeah, because even just that little bit, especially if you've mortised it in, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're taking the time to do that really succinctly and, and neatly, precisely. What other word could I use? <laughs> um, and these are from our good buddies at Montana. Mm-hmm. Made so, in Montana. So we thought, you know, why not uh, throw them a plug as well? Mm-hmm. And we use these, you know, all the time, every through every application, really. Yep. Yeah, just use it for the all for those hinges on the uh, Dutch door. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, if you don't listen to the beginning of the podcast, uh, American Craftsman, use that code on uh, Montana's website. You get ten percent off your order. Yeah, that's very cool of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're. You know, well worth it. I don't know what the price is individually for that because we got it inside like a little box kit, didn't we? Or no, yeah. that came in. 
Um, no, that one came separate, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe, tw- I don't know, 25 bucks, maybe yeah. 30 bucks. But it's it's, it's going to last you many, many a year. And in fact, even if the drill bit gets a little dull, you can swap that drill bit out. Uh, change out the heads if you're using square drive, if you're using Fozzie. Freaking $12. Huh. Two for 25 Yep. And they're selling them at Woodcraft now. Yeah, try and buy direct from Montana if you can, yeah. I guess. But Nice. And uh, so they have a, a replacement, two bits, replacement bits, $1.99. Oh my god! I used to use a different brand of self-centering bit, <laughs> and they want like twenty bucks, <laughs> yeah. two bits. I used to just buy another set of bits because it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, so I have like tw- like twenty of them. Yeah, and that's a number eight, so it's good for number eight screw. But, yep. You know, so you get it sized for the particular application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got them from like, uh, uh, not one thirty second. Maybe from one sixteenth all the way up to uh um big, like ten millimeter. Wow. Yeah, yeah. like no, not ten millimeter. What's a Euro screw? Oh, is that is pretty mil- big, yeah. Is five yeah that's five mil. Must be yeah, five millimeter. So that's what, three three sixteenths? No, it's bigger than that. Yeah. Well, five mil is because that's the size of those um those little shelf pins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's bigger than that. It is. Yeah. You know the Euro screws? Yeah. Yeah. That's not five mil? I don't think so. That's bigger than that? Yeah. 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 We, we we ran across those Euro screws over in Long Branch. Yeah. I mean, if you're on the 32 millimeter system, they're good, but yeah. if you're not, then they're not. Um... Got some some good questions this week. All right, not our our headiest episode, but but decent. I like that word. Didn't uh didn't get the thing up uh very early to ask for questions because I got home last night and I'm like, oh shit, tomorrow's Tuesday. Yeah, so we're gonna blame you. Yeah. All right. I'm used to that. Somebody's got to take this the blame. house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Under this roof, <laughs> you. <laughs> You are the blamey. <laughs> Got uh, one from our buddy Dave Blugerson on Instagram. Would you guys consider yourselves old school or new school? That's a great question. Um, wow. Um, I would for for me, I'd say I'm closer to old school, but uh, not not so old that I'm using all hand tools. Mm-hmm. Mostly old school in my mentality and approach and new school. I'm very receptive to technology and all those other things that, um, you know, will benefit our work. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say that I'm definitely a mixture. I really have no choice but to be new school. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely, you know, look at everything in the past, and um, if it's valid, it's valid. It doesn't matter when it came from, you know what right. I mean? So whatever's best. So definitely we use a combination of old school and new school techniques and uh, schools of thought. Yeah, if I mean, if it's well done, it doesn't go out of style. Right. And 
Um, you know, just even things like this podcast, posting on Instagram, um, what else? Things like the domino. Mm-hmm. This is all part of just being present in the year 2021. Yeah, I mean, we knew people who were, like, totally resistant to change. Um, and if you want to stay relevant, then good luck, you know, acting like that. Because, <laughs> I mean, at this point, if you're um, actively resisting some of these things, it, it, uh, it would seem, you know, you're sort of like, making yourself an outcast mm-hmm. in several ways. I mean, what what is the point you'd be trying to make if you, you know, were... Just digging in your heels. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just, it's just a, a, a weird display of stubbornness. Yeah. Because there have been improvements. Just because it's new doesn't make it bad either. Right. And just because it's old doesn't mean it's classic and vintage mm-hmm. and time honored right. it could just be old and now we have a better way yeah um you know like what are some uh what are some ideas on that like uh i i would i would put the domino in that category right i mean it's a i think you know it's a the loose tenon mm-hmm. is a is a classic example of joinery and to me the domino is an improvement on that. Yeah, it's, you know, it makes it easier. Right. Makes makes being able to to do that sort of joinery faster. Therefore, a shop like ours can bring the price down because we're bringing our time to build it down. And it makes our, material, our product more accessible to more people. Uh, while still, you know, giving them the benefit of you know, hardwood mm-hmm. and, um, you know, classic design and things like that. Yeah. All right. You want me to read the next question? Yeah. This is from Corey, who's CT Woodwork on Instagram. Are, are you wearing Corey's on. T-shirt? Yeah. He's in Patchogue, Long Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're starting a new project. How long do you wait for lumber to acclimate in the shop? So Corey wants to know. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, uh, maybe two, three weeks ago. Um, so we we like to, you know, we we try and usually start a project on a Monday, um, just so we build up ahead of steam. So at minimum Friday, we're gonna bring stuff in, and we're gonna end up we're gonna mill it slowly anyway. Um, so I'd say at minimum, you know, three days. Yeah, we're starting with kiln dried wood. Yeah, but it's sitting in a shed that's outside. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got doors and things like that. So it's not getting wet, but temperature, humidity, it's, it's subject to all those swings. Yep. And our shop is fairly well, um, climate controlled. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's a benefit. Like, cause it'll go from a finished piece in our shop to a climate controlled home for the most part. In the olden days, <laughs> here's another good example. You know, my shop was just basically the same as the shed as far as what I could do to, you know, keep the humidity and the temperature under control. Whatever was going on outside affected me inside the shop. And so when it got to the client's home, that was really the first time this piece went into 
this drier, for the most part, climate-controlled space. I mean, I always had heat, but um, so I, I didn't have to deal with that. Um, there were times where I'd have to go back two or three times on a job at the beginning of a job. And I knew this would happen. I'd tell the client and have to shave drawers, sometimes drawer boxes. If it was a piece of furniture that didn't have uh, drawer slides, mm-hmm. you know, we'd have to do the, the literal sides of the drawer box. Sometimes it's, um, you know, the, either the face frame or the, the drawer face, a door, um, but, uh, yeah, I wonder how long, uh, Corey waits. Cause he does a lot of work in hardwood. I've seen oh, yeah. posting on Instagram. Yep. Um, yeah. Let us know, Corey. Yeah. He's, he, uh, he's going to be getting into a, a barn door and an exterior door. I think he was just telling me. Yeah. Yeah. We could have, you know, we should start thinking about having some kind of a patron's gallery. Yeah. You know, patrons want to send us photos. We could, you know, post one or two, you know, every week. Have to be sending a lot of pictures to keep up with that. (laughs) They have it. It's called Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) They're curating their own galleries. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You mean somebody thought of that already? Yeah, Facebook. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just curious. I'd like to see more of, you know, I do follow Corey on Instagram, Uh so I guess I see everything he's doing, you know, and is interested in posting. Mm -hmm. I I guess I was just thinking out loud saying it'd be interesting to see what everybody's up to. It's tough too, because, you know, sometimes you don't see, sometimes people put stuff up and you don't see it because the, uh, the algorithm doesn't want you to see it. Yeah. We got one coming in here all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. From uh, Marcelo. MF Cozy, C-O-S-I on Instagram. Yeah. How deep should a bow tie on a uh, board split be? Yeah. On a split board. Well, um, a bow tie is going to be a little bit different from like a a Dutchman. It's going to be more structural, right? A Dutchman's more what we would consider a patch. And then a, you see me like a butterfly where it's looking for a structural piece. Yeah, like, you know, to keep the crack from continuing. Yeah, I would would like it to be as thick as possible, I'm going to say, possible. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the the full depth of the board, the full thickness of the board. If if the split doesn't show through on the backside, maybe, you know, just leave that um, intact. What do you think? Um... I mean, this is just speculation because we uh, we don't really work with wood that would um, need a bow tie, you know, because we're working with surface, you know, with uh, dimensional lumber. Um, I'm going to say it's probably got to be at least two-thirds of the way. Mm-hmm. There's a, you know, the problem with going all the way through is how do you get that to match up? And then you <laughs> if you chop straight through, you're going to blow out on the back. Yeah. Um, you know, and usually you put a little bit of a taper on it so you get right, it to so wedge drive in there. It in. But yeah, two thirds, yeah, half, half or more. Yeah, yeah, but something substantial so that it doesn't fail. I yeah. suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder again what Marcel is doing. I think a lot of times if it goes through, you might put one on each side and and ah. you know not not necessarily in the same spot. 
Yeah, that's that's a good idea. As long as you're not using that slab stitcher thing that's like a router template and then they come with the bow ties pre-cut. God, please don't do that. Nobody. Are you against that? Yeah, is that, that's is total that, bullshit. Is that new school? That's just hack school. Like poor George Nakashima is rolling oh, in his yeah, grave. Yeah, yeah. Watching people use a, a router jig and like a bow. Does it get any easier than making a bow tie? Just cut it on the bandsaw. No, no, it's a good, good handy shape that works it's with a, itself. Yeah, it's supposed to be irregular. Yeah, not with rounded corners and a rounded center. Yeah. So George, he he, Mr. Nakashima, he really popularized that for most people in their you know knowledge of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that application. Well, yeah, I don't think he gets the. I think most of the people don't know who the hell he is, but oh. that's kind of where, you know, it it digressed digressed from him. He did it, and I don't know who did it before him, but you know, George Nakashima made it a thing, and then it got co opted by all these other people, and then now everybody knows what it is. And mm-hmm. so, how ha- I think half of these people don't even have any clue who George Nakashima is. Yeah. Well. Because um, I know real furniture makers who don't know who George Nakashima is. Yeah, he he's is it his daughter that's uh, yeah Mira got his shop open mm-hmm. and um, people can visit. It's in uh, um, where Pennsylvania, New Hope, New Hope, Pennsylvania, uh, and we've been talking about taking a day trip out there. Yeah, I uh, they're probably opening back up. I know they've been closed. But yeah. Forgot, I keep forgetting about that. Yeah. <laughs> We're in a worldwide pandemic quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> you could tell Jeff and I have lived in our own sort of bubble for for so long. We forget the world. Yeah. <laughs> it was zombie apocalypse out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what's funny is uh, when uh, Christopher, uh, my old apprentice, Used to work in the shop with me. He was just a high school kid and a junior high before that when he started. We used to talk about it in a in a joking way about the zombie apocalypse and how we were going to be prepared for it because you know we were always making gadgets and things like that, like our silly little uh, um, blast gate uh-huh. thing that we did, and we said we're going to be ready for the zombie apocalypse. Who knew? <laughs> I had my doubts. you know what i'd have trouble with growing a garden full of food (laughs) i used to think that would be the easy part those zombie people are on the fringes now because they uh they've adopted some other wacky uh, ideas yeah i think yeah that was good Uh, oh i like this next question how do you guys deal with friends and or family when they ask you to build something, that's Brian, Graypoint Woodworks on Instagram. He's, I wonder if he's faced with this question. Yeah. We, uh, we spent a lot of time on this maybe, I don't know, 10 episodes ago. Basically, just say no. Yeah, that's, that's the, because otherwise, if, if, we've, if we're hemmed into it, it's, we're going to consider it a gift. I mean, yeah, right? yeah. It's, so basically the only way I'll do it is if it's for free and I have total control over um, what it is and, you know, like, okay, you need this. Well, then I'm giving you whatever I want to make. Right. It's not like 
You know, it's like you don't go to somebody's house and and they make you a sandwich and you're standing in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, can you put can, another couple of slices yeah, of salami um, on there? I don't like romaine lettuce. Do you have? No. Listen, I'm, you get whatever the hell I'm giving you. Chef's choice. Yeah. So if you want a sandwich, you can have this one. If not, fuck off. <laughs> there's a there's a deli down the street. No you want to pay for a sandwich? For you. Yeah, go pay for a sandwich. You can get whatever the hell you want. But here, you're getting whatever whatever I make you. Yeah. Um. It's just, you know, we don't ask other people to do their profession for free. Yeah. Or for a heavily discounted rate and then micromanage yeah. it. Um. The other thing is when we're spending our time doing that, we can't make any money. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's the part that escapes most people asking for a, a favor because if we spend even a day doing something, that's a day's pay that we are not earning mm -hmm. on top of gifting out something else. Right. Um, so it's just not possible. Like if we had family that were accountants, would we want them to do our books for free? No, there may be some type of barter or something, but yeah, certainly yeah. not for free. Yeah. It'd be nice though, wouldn't it? <laughs> what, what, what could we use? <laughs> what, what are we not? I don't, I have a very small family, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm most people out. don't have anything to offer, anything tangible. <laughs> so that's why they're, we're, so we're like, we would be rock stars in that world of bartering with the family, wouldn't we? Mm. I don't know. People would want all sorts of things. You know, Jeff, I could use a new kitchen. Yeah, they do, but what the hell? <laughs> Can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um... It would, you know, it would be fun to hear some stories from uh, from the listeners yeah. about their experiences. There you go, Lou. I'm yawning. There, there comes the first yawn. How many minutes, minutes in? in? 25. Wow. I am tired today. That was the, all that heavy partying this weekend. Yeah, I had like drank like five beers yesterday. It was Memorial Day, and um, I did see a... a like a little short story. Um, there's this football player on the Steelers, I believe. His name's Villanueva. And he, he was, uh, I guess he might be in the reserve now, but he was an active duty military before he was a football player. And one of the things he said in his this vignette um, struck me. He said, you know, most people think of Memorial Day and they think of getting together and cookouts and everything like that. But if you served in the military, it means a completely different thing. And mm -hmm. he's right. I, I didn't even think of it. Um, I don't even really know when Memorial Day shows up usually because I'm not um, driven by that kind of schedule. Like where's my next holiday coming? Yeah. And I felt a little bad. Yeah, and, you know, you see everybody on Facebook posting stuff like that, you know, saying, you know, remember the reason behind. And and then you got people like, happy Memorial Day to my father who fought in in the Korean War and he's 85 years old. I'm like, 
You obviously don't even know what the <laughs> hell Memorial Day is. He's still alive. Right. <laughs> so some people are just totally clueless. They confuse Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Yeah. Um, this will tell you a little bit about how things have changed. My grandfather fought, I guess, in World War One for uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. He came from Italy. And back then, uh, and this is the story I was told, he got citizenship by joining yeah. the army. Um, and then once he had citizenship, then he brought his family, like my grandmother and my mom came over after the, after the fact. And I went out to see his uh, grave marker. He has, you know, one of those white military markers. It's out in Long Island. <laughs> and... Um, I didn't realize that your spouse also gets one. Hmm. So <laughs> I'm out there. And now I grew up living with my grandmother and this, it, those were some of the best years of my life. So I loved my grandmother so much. And I, this was the first time I saw her grave marker too, because I was living out West when she died as a kid and I didn't go back to the bur- for the burial. I was 12. Um, and so it says, you know, Antonio Baroni and, and says his service thing. And my grandma's stone, it says Anna, his wife. <laughs> I said, that's it. That's a legacy. That's, that's all my beloved grandmother got was his wife. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I never met my grandfather. He... He died before I was born. I had heard that uh, he was heavily affected by the war, you know, like oh, yeah. um, like terrified when there would be thunder and things like that. Yeah, shell shock. Yeah, yeah. World War One was, was a rough, rough war. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, the introduction of all those weapons, people were not ready for that. They, yeah, you know, the they, machine gun. They went from like... Mustard gas. Standing in rows, you know. <laughs> to be in the trenches. <laughs> right, right, right. Or, yeah, all the ar- artillery and shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that was a thing before that, but still. Oh, man. So, yeah, well, that was a, a, a small sidetrack. But friends and family, mm. um, yeah, we try to avoid it uh, at, whenever possible. Yeah. Um, and... Every now and again, if somebody's persistent in the past, I've just told them what the full price is, and then they they stop speaking to me for like seven years. <laughs> well, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, you want me to build you two bedside tables? All right. Let me let me work up a price it's for you. It's gonna be nine thousand dollars. I'll give you a good pro- I'll give you a good price on the material and labor. I'll knock off ten percent, just because you're my favorite cousin. <laughs> and you know what else happens after that? Then they think I'm cheap when I don't want to like give their kids presents and stuff like that, or I don't you know come showering with gifts all the time because they think we're loaded. No, that's just yeah. what it costs. Yeah, make. people don't have any idea about what we do. Yeah, the other thing is by doing it for free, then you kind of 
make people feel a little bit guilty and then they stop asking because <laughs> they don't want nobody wants to you know yeah. get a bunch of stuff for free hopefully they, yeah it just makes it easier because yeah then you could do it you know how you want if you if it takes you six months that's right woodcraft every time i go on the woodcraft website they email me Excuse Did me. you see something? Come back for another look. How how the hell? I knew a guy that it's the damn cookies took twenty years to make a chest. Still came out like shit. <laughs> Not the part I did. That's true. <laughs> it w- and no, it then wasn't. He was upset that the person wasn't ecstatic about it. Yeah, it it wasn't me. I'm just saying. I I lent a hand there. Uh, watching somebody flail. I know I promised this to you 16 years ago. (laughs) Can't see why you're not head over heels (laughs) praising me for finally making it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like this one from Corey, C.T. Woodwork. All right. Uh, What tool has opened the most doors of opportunity for you? Oh, that's easy. Yeah, doors of opportunity. Um, that I don't know, but I have an answer for um, tool that's maybe been the most versatile or or helpful. I hope I don't steal yours since I'm going first. You're probably gonna, but <laughs> as far as me, opportunity, I'll use that word. It's been uh, the drawing program, mm. and for me, it was SketchUp when I learned SketchUp. That's a good one. I wasn't thinking of that. Because it changed entirely how I could present this idea that I had in my head. And previously, I would make these really uh, elaborate drawing sets in 2D, in two dimensions, because I have a background doing that. And I really loved drawing those out. Um, but people had a hard hard time uh, translating those yeah, things. Yeah, for me, it's hard. Um because it, they don't translate to the layman, you no. know. It's they're they're fabrication drawings for the most part. Especially like a plan view is mm-hmm. like totally right. Like a plan view of a kitchen to me, it's, it's like it's might nothing. as well not even don't even show it to me because. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> SketchUp changed everything. Not only could you make these three D models where it was color, and they didn't even have to be like super involved it was just you could navigate through the drawings and i didn't have to talk so much Mm -hmm. you just brought it in and let the the pictures do the selling for you so what was your what's your idea uh so mine's not doors of opportunity but i was going to say the track saw has definitely you know um been one of those tools that really sort of changed the way i worked and um, opened up, you know, possibilities and ease of use. And we were actually, Corey and I were talking about the track saw. Might have been last night. Z sent me the new woodpecker's tapering jig. Oh. I'm like, I just use a track saw. Yeah, you know, I I haven't used the track saw more than, let's say, 20 times because I didn't own one. Uh-huh. But... I love the track saw. We used it a couple of times just last week and finishing up some of the things on the case of the that coffee mm-hmm. thingy. Um, and it's 
it's just one of those tools yeah. that it does. It, it can do things that other tools can, but frequently when we pull it out, it's the best tool that really no other tool is going to do as well. Yeah. Like rather than bringing the, the work <clears throat> to the tool, you're bringing the tool to the work and mm -hmm. it's like, I need a straight line. Just put the track down. You got a straight line. Right. Wherever. From A yeah. to B, if it's on an angle, whatever. I mean, now, straight being able to cut a straight line is so important, accurately and easily, and you know, dust free. It's just that's the thing. It's like people have been using a circular saw and a straight edge guide for I don't know how long. Yep. But this isn't too. that. It's. It's so much more evolved. Yeah. But in a, and it, it's simple still. Mm -hmm. It's not complicated. No, no. It, it's um, used it to cut the half laps in the doors. Mm-hmm. For the Dutch door. I mean, just rough breaking down plywood, ripping it, just ripping plywood down the middle so that mm -hmm. you're not using a, trying to bring a piece into the shop that's, 48 by 96, like right. just having a 24 by 96 or whatever, a 48 by 48, something. Right. It just makes it so much easier. Yeah, I love the track saw. The dust collection on uh, the Makita that you have that we use in the shop is nearly complete. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's good. Uh, we use the Festool tracks or are those Makita tracks. Makita. They're Makita. I, I had a Festool. That's right. I had, and I have Festool tracks. Um, I had a long festival track that I used with my Makita. That's right. And uh, that thing's awesome. So there yeah, we have two good answers. Mm -hmm. um, 3D drawing program, which is everywhere now. Yeah. You know, uh, we also started using, no, I shouldn't say we, the Royal we started using Fusion as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't even do SketchUp now. No. Because I'm too far. Too deep into the fusion. Yeah. And But the drawing programs, they change everything. Mm-hmm. All right. So we got this next question. Uh, I guess I'm going to read it. This is, uh, this is a long one. I better take my time. So uh, this is from uh, Powell Gottlieb. Is that how you... Powell, P-A-W-E-L. I think I think that's how you would pronounce that. It's either that or Pavel. I mean, I know people named Pavel. That's with um, a W? I think sometimes like the, the in some languages, it has that kind of sound. Hmm. But don't quote me on that. So he's one of our patrons, and uh, we should know how to pronounce his name. Uh, maybe we can get some uh, phonetics on that. Yeah, it's been a topic of conversation. You got to let us know, Pavel. All right. Pavel. So here it goes. Hey, guys. I'm building this little table with a couple of drawers. It's to be used in the kitchen, and there's some potential for moist utensils to be thrown into these drawers. What type of finish would you recommend? I used hard maple for the sides of the drawers and a quarter-inch thick slide-in poplar panel for the bottom. My biggest concern are the bottoms. Would you finish both sides of the bottoms or only the interior one? Would it be an option to not finish them at all, except for the front face? I would like for it to look nice, but don't mind minor imperfections. I don't have a sprayer. 
One more thing, not a big deal, but if I had a choice, I'd prefer to somehow stain these poplar bottoms just to hide green parts. You know, I'm going to have to pat myself on the back reading that one. I must have had my Wheaties this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually fumbling and a bumbling through a question like that. <laughs> yeah, so this is a tough one. Um, I don't know of many, like, stains that are finishes, too. You know what I mean? Like, a stain isn't really yeah. a finish. It's it's a stain. Um, so if you're looking for, like, a one size fits all like a Rubio Monaco is going to be a stain. That's mm -hmm. also a finish. Um, but I would say any kind of rub on finish, Yeah, you yeah. know, a, a wipe on poly or a tongue oil or a varnish, just something that you can wipe on because it's, you know, it just makes it easy. It's a drawer. doesn't need to be a perfect finish. It's going to get beat up. Um, so, yeah, maybe see if you can get some kind of tinted wipe on or or maybe try the Rubio. You know what I think about the green parts? The drawers are going to be filled with stuff. Mm -hmm. I think you're not going to, it's not going to bother you. Yeah, and, you know, Poplar was used extensively as a drawer box material in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those just had clear finishes on them if they had any finish. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about the green. And what do you think about finishing all sides of uh, the bottoms? Yeah, you should yeah. always finish all sides of everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, you'd be running into a little bit of problem, especially if there's moisture involved. Yeah, you just, you know, you have one side that's sealed and one side that's not sealed. You're opening yourself up to, you know, getting disproportionate movement and stuff because mm -hmm. um, the unfinished side is going to be taking more and the, the finished side is going to be getting any. Yeah. Yeah, so um, sounds sounds like we got all the questions answered here. Let's go through these. What type of finish would you recommend? Check. Does you want to finish the bottom or just uh, or both sides? Check. We got that. And uh, the green. Check. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about the green. Yeah, don't sweat it. Don't sweat the small stuff, Powell. All right. Thanks for the question. Yeah. I uh, got an another one here from Chris. You have a favorite YouTube channel for woodworking. Someone you think is talented from uh, Chris C. Dubrisky on Instagram. Well, for me, I don't, uh, I don't go on YouTube for that kind of stuff too mm -hmm. often. You're going to have a really good answer for this. Uh, you'd be surprised about that. <laughs> Surprise me. Uh, now, I know he doesn't consider himself a full-fledged woodworker, but he's very talented. And he's really artistic and versatile. And so my favorite uh, YouTuber is John Peters. Uh -huh. um, I follow him on Instagram. Um, he's one of the, the few people that I'll watch a video and be entertained by, uh, whether it's him showing off some of his artwork and the installations he's done or uh, a tool or chopping down a tree. Um, I, I like his stuff. He's he's got a great way of presenting. Mm -hmm. And after getting to know him, that's probably part of it. Um, you know, like when you watch somebody on TV, you feel like you know them. Mm -hmm. Well, since I actually did get to know John, <laughs> watching him is more enjoyable. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because I could kind of 
catch maybe some of the nuances mm-hmm. of what he's saying and, and doing. Yeah, John was one of the first uh, guys that I started watching on YouTube, um, you know, whatever it was, 10 years ago when I started doing finished carpentry. Um, I honestly, I don't watch a lot of woodworking on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Not like not like where I subscribe to someone and I watch all the videos that they put out. Because um, honestly, I, I don't think that there's a lot of like really, well, maybe that's not true. I haven't found a lot of really skilled woodworkers that I really like. Uh, I like Paul Sellers. Um, let me see here. I'll go to my subscribed. Uh, got Ramon Valdez in there. John Peters. Um, I like uh, Keith's videos, 2-Bit Woodworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Eng. That's NG. This is the Green Street YouTube, so I don't, I'm not subscribed to a lot on here, but... Uh, these people stand out the most to me. I pulled it up because I forgot the name. And actually, I'll subscribe on here. It's uh, Doucette and Wolf. D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E-A-N-D-W-O-L-F-E. And this guy is in, in Maine. And mm. the stuff that he builds, is it's incredible. A um, lot of hand tool work, which is, you know, impressive. Um, but not always relevant to, that's like Paul Sellers. Paul Sellers does everything with hand tools and I like watching the videos, but they're just not that relevant. Um, yeah, you see this guy does all Yeah, flattening a board with a hand plane. Yes. You know, does everything with a smoother for a finish. And he's using, you know, like a mortising machine and stuff, but yeah, this guy's really good. Um, trying to think of who else. I mean, I, I watch all kinds of stuff on YouTube that's not woodworking. Mm-hmm. I'm more of like need something specific, I find it on YouTube. I'm not yeah, not so much, um, you know, subscribing to woodworking channels per se. Right. I, there was one guy I used to. He used to have a show on TV. See, I'm more of a TV guy. Uh-huh. I would I would like these little TV shows. Um, David Marks is his name. And he had a show for a short while on TV, and he does classes. And I found I him a really good uh, mix of something that was kind of practical to to what we do. Yet, you know, his specialty is more like gallery pieces. Yeah, yeah, it looks like he does a lot of wood turning. Um. He, well, I don't know. I haven't seen his TV show for many a year now because it's it's just not on. Um, I mean, it, it could be 10 years since he's been on television. But he had one of those little half-an-hour TV shows on PBS. Mm-hmm. And he'd, one week he'd make like a desk. Yeah, mission-style ottoman, uh, and crafts, nightstand. He might use like knockdown joinery and parts of it while on, on another piece he was... You know, laying up these veneers in a four-way pattern. Yeah. You know, so it was a, it was a cool mix of him displaying his real craft and talent and making it practical to the application. Uh, so he was pretty cool. Yeah, I know that name, David Marks. I think I might follow him on Instagram. Ah, oh, Corey's got another good question here. 
What's your favorite stage of a project? Hmm. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it varies by the project, but typically it's like that, not the beginning, beginning, but like after things get milled and then, you know, when you start getting into the fabrication, that's kind of what I like. Yeah. Mine is the beginning, beginning, mm -hmm. like, like really getting into the design you got that design done and somebody gives you a check and not for the money, but for the validation, I'm going to say, I'll have to admit right. it's okay. We came up with this idea. We, we created it. Uh, you know, what is the saying? You, you know, we spun it from whole cloth. Is that, is that what that means? Mm. Where you made it from nothing? Um, and somebody buys it mm -hmm. and go, all right, I believe in you guys. Make this thing for me now. That's the most satisfying part of it. We could just have a business where we just do that. <laughs> After that, there's there's just more anxiety now trying to produce it. Yeah. I mean, not that we can't. It's just, you know, now comes the, all right, you know, do Prove it now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and also, you know, it just goes back to my um sort of the 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 my intrinsic skill set is is mainly in design. That's what I bring to the table mostly is is that sort of creativity and and thought process and less so as far as the mechanics of making it happen. What about you? You want to uh, expand on your... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, to me, the design, because I'm not I'm not a, a very apt designer, to me, that's not enjoyable. <laughs> that's where I get the anxiety, is trying to make something that's... Design something that's unique and fits the, the scope of work and the function. And to me, that that's the hard part. But then the actual doing for me is the easy part. Yeah. Like doing all of the building and, you know. It's a great, it's a great mix. Like, yeah. it, this is, this is one of the things I love about working with Jeff. Now we had a, one of the last things that we were waiting on was to put the crown on top of this cherry piece. Now I've done that a hundred times and I could do it if I had to, but Jeff, I know is great at it. And so I could turn to Jeff without feeling embarrassed about it and say, Jeff, would you do this? But Jeff <laughs> knew already. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> so he just volunteered to do it. But that's, that's what it makes, uh, you know, it's part of what makes a good partnership. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got to play to our strengths. Um, Jeff's, it just makes sense. We need a tree design, <laughs> Rob. They need a redesign on this tree. Okay. Yeah, because I'm gonna sit there and scratch my head on it for for three fucking days. And, you know, I'll give you thirty minutes, and it's done. It's like, wonderful. Well, the trunk trunk is a little too long, and I gotta. I got it. <laughs> That's the the easiest part. Like when you come up with something, and then they give you like three or four little suggestions. It's so easy then yeah. to 
It's like, all right, I know you like this, and this is the part you want me to amend. Mm -hmm. That's easy. Let's do that. You know what else is? It's it's a melancholy feeling. You know I'm going to say this. When you're driving away at the end of the job, it's mm-hmm. delivered, it's put in. We've kind of hemmed and hawed. We didn't want to really leave our baby there in its house. Mm-hmm. You could always, you always want to spend another day or another <laughs> week, another two weeks. Well, we could just. You get attached to them, yeah. don't you? Um, you take a few pictures, you bid your farewell, and and then you always wish you had a few more pictures of it. Or mm-hmm. And this is the part that uh, has always haunted me. A lot of the things I've done, I don't have good pictures of because the space isn't finished. Yeah. You know, you you put it in and then there's, it's sort of in this 90% finished space. Like um, one thing that comes to mind is that um, that piece we built for uh, Nora and what was, what's her husband's name? George and, George and Nora. Yeah. That, it was a really, really nice piece. Uh, the, yeah, credenza with the... You know, you did that that sort of rib pattern on the cherry doors. Mm-hmm. But the f- pictures I have, like, there's a wire sticking out of the, the bottom. The aren't done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of... It, it's that kind of mess. Yeah. Um, Remember the designer on that job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there was Talk ever an example... Your, dragging your feet. Of, of somebody who was less qualified at what they do than we are at what they do. <laughs> yeah. He's probably overworking with Tom. Exactly. He's like, that's why I didn't step out of my box, because I'm not. <laughs> I wasn't mean, king of the mountain on that one. We got this pencil drawing that was so, I mean, childlike. Just and, indecipherable. Yeah. Like elevation. Uh, view of a totally boxy credenza on graph paper. So it's just like you couldn't even, basically you couldn't even see what the hell it was. Yeah. There was nothing, nothing there. Um, Oh man. It's funny because that wasn't the only time where somebody has a designer and then we sort of get involved we show them what we do as designers mm-hmm. and that other person's no longer on the job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a distinct difference between an interior designer and a furniture designer. Right. Right. Um, they're just not the same. They're not even remotely the same thing. Right. We don't design rooms with color palettes and, and accents and things like that. You ask us for a specific piece of furniture that functions one way, looks another way. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great distinction because a lot of those folks, the interior designers, they're, they're designing spaces and they're just pulling in, you know, pre-made pieces yeah. and, and, and plugging them in. And when they're asked... Because they do these inspiration boards where right. we got this tile and this paint and then this table... Well, that table already exists, so yeah. you don't need us. Right. If you want something that doesn't exist and you want somebody to design it to fit with all this other shit yeah. that you picked out, that's when you need us. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't do it. Yeah, that's why we're really lucky with the relationship we have now mm-hmm. with the designers. Um, it's it's a real collaborative effort, yep. uh, which is, I think, hard to find in any any trade and 
Um, yeah, we got lucky. Yeah. I guess they got lucky too. All right. So uh, that's our favorite stage of the project. Got uh, one here from another patron, Midnight Maker. The Midnight Maker, he's got a YouTube channel. He makes some nice uh, craftsman-style stuff, green and green. Uh, did you do green and green? It was all craftsman. I think craftsman. Um, I'm a CNC operator by day, and I'm often cutting parts for cabinets out of walnut euro ply. When determining how to uh, how they get edge banded, I usually try and orient them so any cathedrals are pointing up. On a previous podcast, you had mentioned very quickly cathedrals up. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, cathedrals are those arched patterns, those grain patterns in the wood. Mm-hmm. And up means sort of like those cathedrals in a frown shape, right? Uh, yeah, so that like it, the peak so is they at look the top. like a, a a a hill, a mountain. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure there's any hard and fast rule that says that, except it just looks better. I mean, it looks right for some reason. Yeah, for cabinetry, right? I think there's probably situations. You know, you hear you could hear Krenov talk about this. Mm-hmm. You know, and having it maybe go down in certain situations, but. In most situations, for a panel or for, like, the side of a cabinet, the cathedrals want to go up. Yeah. Um, and to your point, when you're looking at the piece in total, whether it's, like, an individual piece, it might uh, mean one thing. If it's sort of like a suite of cabinets, like a, like a kitchen or mm-hmm. a bedroom or something like that, you want to look at the entirety of of that, um, you know, what what would you call it? The landscape that it's creating and, and see which direction things should go. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, gives some continuity by um, purposefully putting them all in the same direction. You know, mm-hmm. it gives a, a sense of sameness, you know. Right, Rather right. This one goes up, this one goes down, that one is going 45 degrees. Yeah, a lot of that is, um, like, it, it plays with the into what your brain does and how it interprets stuff. It's like, where does your eye get led? What does it want? What is looking at this make you look at? And so you're following these lines. It's mm-hmm. just one of these innate things that, that um, you know, you do when you're perceiving something with, with this kind of detail in mm-hmm. it. Um, and typically I guess you want the, the movement going up. I mean, I'm sure there are times where you'd want it going down. I just yeah. can't really think of anything right off my top of my head. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you had some type of very long door and you had at the top was going up and at the bottom was going down, mm-hmm. so like a, a book match in that direction right. kind of thing. That might look cool. I guess like a, a four-way match too, you know, some of, yeah, yeah you know, it's going to automatically do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think, um, we've been able to explain that this has, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know how much more we could elaborate on it. Maybe it's just one of those kind of, um, unspoken rules. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of more just do it and that's the way we do it. We don't maybe really know. Right. A whole lot about why I, I have to go back and look at, at my kitchen now, I made my kitchen cabinets when I was learning how to do this, and I remember thinking 
which way are these supposed to go? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think there might. I think I might have a door to where the cathedrals are pointing down, only out of just not knowing <laughs> which way they were supposed right. to go. <laughs> And just saying, oh, hell, I'll just pick one, you know? Yeah, I mean, sometimes when it's a very, uh, like, a wide cathedral, going mm-hmm. down doesn't look so bad. But right. when they're very, uh, you know, when the fr- the frequency of the wave is yeah, really sharp. short, it looks weird going down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Page two. This is from Jerry, one of our patrons, GA Woodshop on Instagram. What size lumber are you normally purchasing? If your doors are one inch, are you buying five quarter or six quarter? So that when you mill it, you can get to an inch. I'm asking because back in the day, I'd buy four quarter wood and be able to mill it to three quarter. But now four quarter wood is already almost three quarter. So I have to buy five quarter stock to be able to mill it flat for three quarter stock. I know I have been out of the game for 15 years, but that's a big change. Well, I haven't been in the game for 15 years, so I can't speak to what it was like 15 years ago. But, um, you know, we're buying five quarter and it's coming in at inch and a quarter, mm-hmm. inch and three eighths sometimes. Um, yeah. And b- this is full rough stock. So you might be buying a five quarter. You might be buying, let's say, your four quarters coming in at seven eighths. Maybe you're buying skip planes, uh, yeah. and and it's uh, you know they already took an eighth inch off. But your rough lumber should be true to those numbers of four quarter, five quarter, six quarter. Um, could be a, an issue with the quality of the of the you know place you're buying it from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but definitely. we we have, I mean, we have great results. We we rarely get a board that's not able to meet the. Mm-hmm. The thickness, you know, we rarely get a piece of five quarter that doesn't end up an inch. Yeah, only when they're very long. Right, that's what I was gonna throw in there. I I would say it sounds a little bit like maybe the quality of the lumber, mm-hmm. um, because you really should be able to mill the rough stock, you know, to what it's intended to be. Yep. Um, if not, I I would question your supplier. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, that's it. So we're always buying five quarter as our base wood. Yep. Uh, so we can get that inch. Yeah, we get four quarter for uh, drawers, for panel material occasionally, depending on you know if it's, you know if it's going to be like uh, what the hell am I trying to say here? Like an end panel, mm-hmm. we'll make the frame and styles out of. Four quarters sometimes. Yeah, yeah, so that it comes out three quarters of an inch. Yeah, like if it's a book match panel, we're obviously we're not using four quarter, but um, yeah, so it's mainly five quarter and four quarter. Mm-hmm. Six quarter, eight quarter for, you know, tabletops, ca- uh, countertops, shelves, that kind of stuff. Yeah, specialty items. Door, you know, door, big interior, exterior doors. Yeah, we got that eight quarter in there mm-hmm. recently. Um, and just a, a quick aside for those that, don't don't know or might not want to ask uh the quarter four quarter means four quarters of an inch Mm -hmm. means one inch and uh typically that comes rough one inch so that it's intended to be milled to three quarters of an inch right um and 
up the up the chart, five quarter, five, you know, an inch and a quarter thick, intended to be milled down to one inch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sometimes six quarter you can get away with like inch and three eighths. Yeah, I mean a lot of times our five quarter is going clean at inch and an eighth. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially if it's not such a long piece. Yeah, if you're breaking down like door parts that are you know, 28 inches, 29 inches or something. It's very easy to clean those mm-hmm. fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I think that's, that's about it. Yeah. I'd say, uh, you know, so I wonder what grade lumber he's purchasing. I mean, we get FAS, which is except in Walnut, which has its own wrecking, like the Korean grocery stores <laughs> that separate all the best pieces of fruit out. That's um, a little different. <laughs> that I understand. FAS is really like the highest grade, I guess. Yeah, um, the highest of the, I guess, officially recognized grades. Right. Not talking about like the quilt thing and things yeah. like that. Um, I don't know if like the lower grades can accept more cupping or if it just has to do with the, the facial features, you know, like knots and imperfections. Yeah, I don't know. We I should think check they maybe that. look at the grain structure mm-hmm. and they can sort of predict how much things are going to move. That's a, Yeah, I mean, you know, I think whoever is doing the milling is, you know, maybe taking too much and then stuff is sitting around and it's moving a lot. Yeah. I mean, everything is going to move... Things move however much they're prone to moving. Um, you know, like a board that you mill and it moves a lot, that board is predisposed to moving a lot. Yeah. And a board that doesn't move a lot is, isn't going to move a lot. This is getting convoluted with the home saying, but you understand <laughs> what I mean. I do. You mill two boards, one moves a lot, and the other one doesn't move as much. Well, the one that doesn't move as much is never going to move as much as the other one. Right. Um, just because it has to do with the tension in the wood and, the, and everything. So flattening out that, that really um, movable board is a temporary state. Right. Like they saying. took they took a, a piece of wood that was going to move, and then they milled it to get it flat because it was already moving from being milled. So they took off an eighth an inch to get it flat, and then it sat on the shelf, and it moved again. So mm-hmm. you can't get your full thickness out of it. Um, so maybe it's that. I don't know. You know... Back in the old days, me and Jerry must uh, be old timers. I didn't know about, you know, milling all my wood from uh, rough lumber. And I bought S4S, like I guess most people who start out green. Um, But I found that when I needed to joint the boards, you know, you couldn't maintain that three quarters of an inch when I wanted, you know, when I bought four quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were way too many instances where I was having a twist or a cup in a board. And so I was sort of forced into learning how to mill my own lumber because I couldn't maintain the quality. Yeah. And, you know, things that are being run through a four-sider, I, I don't think they're ever going to be as flat as something that no that you do yourself on a joiner and a planer because, you know, they're being forced through with rollers and shit, mm-hmm. and they're being conformed into this space where i mean unless i don't understand how those machines work i mean i i don't know i've never seen the inner workings of them i'm just assuming um it's like using a power feeder on a joiner it just doesn't make sense yeah there's a finesse to it yeah and then they're stacked up 
So mm-hmm. the weight will kind of keep them in line until you pull that board out, and magically it goes yeah. where it wants to go. Yep. Um, so I think that's going to bring us to a close for this uh, portion of our podcast this week. Yeah, we're, uh, we got Colin's question here, which we're going to do on the Patreon. Um, we're going to pick our, our question of the week that we, you know, we're going to talk about on the after show. Um, it's from Colin, one of our patrons, Beaver Badger on Instagram. Tell us more about the Dream Custom Compound. Oh, so we were yeah. We talking last week about uh, a Green Street Compound and what that would entail. So that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Right after this. Four wheelers. Mm. <laughs> that hadn't even crossed my mind. Oh, forget about it. I got I got a big imagination. <laughs> uh, what would you think of the beer? I liked it. I mean, I I drank it. Pretty early on through mm-hmm. the podcast, um, it was good, easy drinking. I could, it, you know, we're not big drinkers. You, of course, you were loading up on beer this weekend. No, not really. <laughs> I had a couple beers yesterday. Yeah, we drink. A typical week for Jeff and I is one beer. Yeah, <laughs> um, I got my drinking over with early. Yeah. You know, I, we both went to college, and if that if it didn't teach you anything else, it taught you how to drink. And worked in restaurants. <laughs> That's right. Where usually the drinking starts before the shift is over. We, so so we both went to drinking school yeah. and got our master's degrees. <laughs> yeah, I might have taught a few classes. <laughs> um, but you know what I could tell? It has a lot less alcohol than... Some of those oh, yeah. boutique beers we've been drinking. Yeah, it's uh, like four. Those craft beers. Oh, it's over there. Yeah, four and a half percent. Maybe it's just like a yeah. regular b- beer level of alcohol. Yeah, I don't even, I can't even notice it. Yeah, whereas, yeah. you know. The, Plus, uh, it's only 12 ounces. There you go. So it's 25% less mm-hmm. and less alcohol content. Yeah. So, yeah, you drink a 16 ounce beer that's uh, 9% alcohol. Well, then that's like you drank like three of those almost. (laughs) There you go. And that's what it would feel like sometimes. Yeah. Like I drank like, I don't know, five of those yesterday or four and I didn't even. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes I drink one here and I'm like, not drunk, but like I could could, feel feel it. it. You get a good buzz. I can feel those, those 16 ounce craft beers, the heavy alcohol ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I go home and I'm like, oh, dang, I got to take a nap for dinner. (laughs) I gotta go to the dentist tonight, though. Healthy Can't be dinner that around. doesn't sound good. Like, where's the pizza? Yeah. All right. So uh, we're gonna thank uh, our gold tier, silver tier. Oh yeah, 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 gold, gold tier patrons: Jerry Greenan, David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fair, Adam Pothast, David Shoemaker, and Colin Lye. Thank you guys. Much appreciated. We'll. Uh Catch you guys next week, episode 40. Yeah, yeah. We may have to start calling that them our platinum, mm. our platinum uh, Patreons. Sounds. So does everybody get an upgrade? And then we. Yeah, then we just create one at the bottom. Mm. We'll force everybody to upgrade. Yeah. that That's what uh, American Express does. <laughs> yeah, I forget what I have. <laughs> We have the blue card. Oh yeah, the it's bottom free. One. Yeah, <laughs> they're like no fees. They, you know, they always send you the thing like for the black card yeah, or whatever, yeah. and it sounds cool. 
then you look and it's like seven hundred and fifty dollars a year. I'm like, they have spending minimums on those. Yeah, you have to spend twenty five thousand a year. I'm not, but I'm not spending. I get a free credit card. That's mm-hmm. it. Because I know they're gonna get the fees from the yeah. point of sale and from you. Yeah. So that you know, that's where we're very much alike, and that's why we can do what we do and kind of maintain our our stubbornness at when it's. Uh, you know, called for in, mm-hmm. in the craft and all this other stuff because we're not out there frittering away money on black cards. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. <laughs> tools maybe, but... Yes, <laughs> we're big tool tools make, yeah. tools make money. That That's right. The tools of the trade, baby. Yep. All right, everybody have a, a great week. Hasta la vista. Ciao. Yeah.